Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Hello and welcome to All Stats Aren't We, a podcast in which Leeds fans cast their combined eye over goings-on at Elland Road, giving scrutiny to the underlying statistics and tactical footings at work at Leeds United. I'm John McKenzie, the Dan James misses of the podcast. I hope you'll all clap me off at the end anyway. <laughs> and today I'm joined by the Orente inability to defend against Javier Manquillo of the podcast, Tom Alderson. Ah well, nevertheless. And finally, the Melier fumbled free kick of the podcast. Let's see how he gets out of this one. It's Darren Driver. Darren, how are you? Oh, God. <laughs> all right, thanks. I'm all right. Yes, uh, how am I going to get out of this one? Well, I know there's a question about Melier at free kicks later, so I'm not going to try and get out of this one just yet. But uh, I'm, I'm well, thanks, John. It was it was nice to uh, nice to see you yesterday and uh, to hold on to you weeping at various points during the game. <laughs> uh, so thanks for being my emotional support blanket during the game. But yeah, I'm, I'm good. Thanks, buddy. Tom Alderson, another man who likes to weep and hold on to things. How are you doing? <laughs> I'm good, actually. I'm actually. I think I'm weirdly looking forward to this because I'd quite like to just have a... It's like a counselling session. Just have a chat, <laughs> get through it, and then we can just completely forget about it. On on the Dan James getting clapped off at the end, that was the... Po- I was just looking around me. I was like, am I missing something here? Like, what have I been watching a different game? I wish I should have just left at that point, really. I thought the standing ovation was maybe a little bit too far. Yeah, um, yeah. I'm all for clapping off players at the end of a performance, but yeah, the standing ovation maybe tipped me over the edge. (laughs) Anyway, speaking of tipping things over the edge, what better time to talk about our Patreon? (laughs) So yeah, maybe we can tip you over the edge into finally deciding to subscribe to our channel there. If you don't know what Patreon is, Patreon is a, a platform that allows us to put out bonus content for people who subscribe. And we do loads of stuff over there. Uh, at the moment, we put out videos uh, looking at tactical or uh, player-focused um, aspects of the game. Um, I'm running a series at the moment looking at potential successes to Marcelo Bielsa because that's a question we get asked a lot on this channel. Um, we also do uh, bonus podcasts and we have a Discord server as well where um, like-minded Leeds fans can chat about the the wonderful life of being a Leeds United fan. Darren, you want you have experienced the Patreon content? I have. I've experienced it both as a as a fan before I before I joined and then um and now you know still still as a fan because because I have to say that <laughs> that the uh, you know whilst I do the a significant number of the podcasts and stuff um and I'm I'm heavily involved in those I've absolutely nothing to do with the video content that you and Hobbsy put out and and you know what every single week I learn something from 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 the things that you guys put out and, and you know if you if you are wondering about whether to get involved in the patreon or not just you know just do because just do it for a month and see if you like it because the video content is worth the price of admission alone um and let me tell you Hobbsy and john no ball uh, and and you'll you'll learn a lot from it and if that sounds interesting to you then head over to www.patreon.com forward slash all stats aren't we and you will be able to check out for yourself anyway on to more exciting things than the Patreon. The game against Newcastle. So the game summary. Gird your loins, buckle yourselves in. C- can we just talk about Patreon for an hour? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, oh dear. Anyway, yeah, so the game that we are going to cover today is the 1-0 loss to Newcastle. 
at Elland Road. Uh, in terms of the structural stuff, nothing really to write home about. 4 1 4 1 to match their 4 3 3. Although in the first half, I thought uh, our two eights were in behind their two eights quite a lot, and that caused a lot of problems. And so they had to sort of flatten out their midfield three in the second half uh, with the eights tracking each other, and then John Joe Shelby pushing forward onto Robin Cox. So there was at least that interesting structural reality there. No surprises in the lineup, really. It's pretty strong uh, starting 11 with Dallas at left back. Robin Cock was in the defensive midfield position. Diego Llorente back into the right centre back position um, after his suspension. And then in the forward areas, as you would expect it, apart from Dan James playing up front ahead of Click and Rodrigo made an appearance starting in the midfield. In many respects, Leeds, I thought, dominated the first half of the first half anyway, with Newcastle ceding them a lot of space in behind and in wide areas. And um, as I've mentioned already, both Leeds 8s found a lot of joy in the half spaces. And I think that was really the key to, to Leeds generating some pretty threatening situations in the first half of the first half. But it was the same old story, though, with Leeds generating threatening moments, but failing to convert them. Particularly those two Dan James chances uh, stand out in that respect. In the second half, Newcastle tightened up their midfield, as I said, and they had their wide forwards tracking a little bit deeper. And But for a 10-minute spell where it got quite transitional again, I think they largely clogged things up for Leeds and were happy to sort of just use their, their forwards as out balls. Um, so playing the ball into Chris Wood or looking for... Uh, Alan San Maxman in behind. In the end, the Newcastle goal came from a free kick, which Melier fumbled, uh, but that ended up being the difference between the two sides. And then Leeds really struggled to create anything after this point. So it ended up being a pretty disappointing result from a pretty disappointing game. So that's my summary of the, the Newcastle game. Let's move on to the interrogation section now. This is the part of the show where I talk to the two guys, um, ask them a few questions about the game itself, and we try and get to grips with what was going on under under the uh, the veneer of a football match in this instance. Um, so I'll start off with Tom Alderson. Um, question one: How can um, how can we beat West Ham away from home one week and then lose the next week with a stronger eleven at home against Newcastle? I was wondering if the the eleven that played West Ham suited that game more and even though it's like very similar I think the, the, the difference was were Bate in midfield last week uh, compared to Rodrigo this week and then Hielder well I'm going to say Hielder because he played more of the game than Furbo did compared uh, to Dallas and I just think the way that West Ham played and they sort of set up better for us uh, compared to how the 11 that we played on yeah, yesterday set up against the, the Newcastle team like for example James caused the centre-back some issues with his pressing uh, but he just didn't have any joy with that at all yesterday, mainly because Newcastle sort of they didn't hold onto the ball as much as West Ham did. Um, so uh, the other thing as well is like with Bate playing, I know he again he only played for forty five minutes slash an hour. I uh, can't remember exactly, and I think him playing would have probably su- suited this game more compared to Rodrigo, who I didn't I, I actually thought did quite well, but it just meant that it led to a more chaotic game, and I think. If you'd have played the eleven that played last week, you would have probably seen more attention and possession, a more controlled game, and it would have probably then suited us more. Um, I thought D- Dallas did actually would did better in this game defensively than I, I'm going to imagine that Hielder would because he, I think Hielder might have struggled with Fraser and the times that Sir Maxman went across. Um, but I might be do, I might be doing him a disservice there as well. Um, so I think the the team yesterday was probably defensively better than the one last week but it just the the attacking even though it was a more attacking team the it was worse it was a worse attacking performance so that they were just the main differences really i think we've said it a lot this year that we we're kind of relying on how the opposition set up and i think that was evident again yesterday so even though the 11 looked stronger we didn't look we didn't play better i'm not sure i agree tom to be honest um i i th- I, I agree to a point because i think i think in the first half I think in the second half, Newcastle did take some steps to try and stem the flow a little bit. But um, I do kind of think that, that out of the two games, the if we're going to talk about outliers, the one that was an outlier was the Newcastle, was the West Ham game. Because in that game, uh, we showed a real um, uncharacteristic efficiency um, in and around the box. And we created far fewer situations against West Ham than we were able to do yesterday. But, but we just managed to take three of the you know whatever maybe maybe of six or seven decent opportunities um to create chances that we made for ourselves and i think if you're gonna if you're gonna look 
over the course of the season, I think yesterday's performance was much more typical of what we've come to expect from Leeds this season than the, than and and the result and um, the the conversion of chances particularly was much more typical of what we've come to expect this season than 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 the West Ham game. So unfortunately, I think I think you, there is a, a degree to which you need to look at the West Ham game as as a bit of a bit of an aberration, as a bit of an unusual event in the season, and say that this is what we've struggled with all season, which is getting into really good positions frequently and then struggling to make anything of them, and all players in the front line being just as guilty as each other at various times of of wasting those chances. So, I think for me that's the primary difference. Last last week we we made good on the opportunities, and this week we didn't, and I think it's as simple as that. Yeah, we were looking at the numbers this morning, and um, last last week. Weekend, it was there was only 17 pass completions in the final third against West Ham. Yesterday we had 38 pass completions in the final third. But I think when you when you drill down into the numbers and look at how many of those passes went into the penalty area uh, against West Ham, it was I think nine, and then yesterday was 13. So despite the fact that we had more possession in the final third, we weren't really getting a, a huge leap up in terms of passes into the, the opposition penalty area as well. So, yeah, d- that, that that definitely sort of stacks up. And um, I, I think this moves us quite nicely onto the second question then, because, uh, Darren, did I've got here, did Leeds waste the opportunity that Newcastle afforded us in the first half? We spent a lot of time, obviously, sat in the uh, East Stand Upper, just looking at this space that, that Newcastle left um, open for us to attack. And um, that's all well and good. I think it's worth saying at this point... Because I was just saying, I've just never seen teams like op- offer so much scope for for um, just attacking space in behind both fullbacks and behind centre backs as well. Um, but I think in in general, when you're defending, you 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 make you have to make a sort of um, decision between what you're going to prioritise. Is it going to be compactness or is it going to be zonal coverage? And I think yesterday it was very clear that Newcastle were making like a compactness um, uh, approach. They were going to try and stop us from getting space anywhere in the centre and they were going to give space out on the wings. But I think the problem was is that that was only in their back line and, and the issue was with their midfield, I felt they just they just didn't really track our midfielders at all. In the second half, I felt they, they started tracking our midfielders much closer. They went almost man for man to a certain extent on our midfielders and it meant that we didn't have easy passes into those spaces that we'd had in the first half. So that was the that's the sort of um, context for, for the question. So how would you answer it? Did Leeds waste the opportunity that Newcastle op- afforded us in the first half? Yeah, very much so. I I, um, I think you, you'll remember that in the preview I pointed out how flat Newcastle's midfield three were um, and, and how, how that yeah gave a certain shape to their team and I was really surprised in the first half to see that not being the case at all that they were happy to kind of you know Joe Linton was kind of drifting forward um and and um yeah and particularly and I think I think that did that did expose a lot of space and and if you give Click and Rodrigo those sort of spaces to move into they will make intelligent <coughs> runs into those space and pick up the ball and then it's about whether they can find the pass that goes beyond that and um you know, like again in the preview, I talked about how um, how Rodrigo had had some of his best games against Newcastle, um, and and I think the reason for that is because Newcastle's players have traditionally been quite easy to, easy to move around and easy to manipulate, and they were again in the first half yesterday to a point, and we got into countless good positions. And I, when I rewatched the game this morning, like I was even more frustrated than I was yesterday at the game at the number of opportunities where where we were in in deep in wide areas where we were in deep in the half spaces where there were where there were runners going off and it was that same thing where there's a combination of either poor execution of the right decision or poor decision making or both going on at the same uh, at the same time so yeah I, I i very much think that in the first half we won't come up against an easier defensively at least because they always had they always had threat on the break but we will not come up against a team that is easier to break down than that Newcastle team was in the first half yesterday so yeah we absolutely wasted that opportunity I completely agree with that when I watched the game back I we weren't as threatening as I remembered at the game and I think that's always the case you kind of just get caught up in it and we're never but when when you talk about sort of being wasteful, you normally think you're talking about missing chances. But the the really annoying thing for me yesterday was that we missed like the pass before the pass that would have made the chance. So like Darren said, we got into those opportunities, but we just we didn't even like get to the point where we created a chance. We just we couldn't get get the pass off before. 
and he was just that was really really infuriating that just to, and again I agree with Dan like it was just really really wound me up this morning how many times we got into those good positions and we just we couldn't make a chance rather than missing a, a shot which you can you can forgive more than doing than not creating a chance really. Yeah, we're going to talk about chance creation in a couple of questions time, so I don't want to dig too deep into that. But let's let's just have a look at the um, the switch between the first and second half from from the point of view of Newcastle. We've already touched on it, but we had a lot of questions where where people were saying why were we not finding space in the in the in the second half where we were in the first half. So, um, Tom, what changed for you? Do you, do you have any thoughts on that? There was two things that I noticed mainly. I think in the second half they seemed to be sitting the fullbacks quite a lot more. Um, I don't think Dummett was particularly adventurous in the first half anyway, but I just I think there was only one time I noticed him making a run forward, and that's because if he hadn't made a run forward, then it would have been a bit of a joke because there was so much space in front of him. Um, and the other one that changed was that uh, Joel Linton went off injured, in the I think, around the 35th, 40th minute. Uh, so it was long staff played the whole of the second half, and he was, he'd in, was more in, inclined to sit next to Shelby and... Um, have Willock play as the more attacking midfielder compared to um, what Darren touched on earlier where Willock and Joel Linton were sort of bombing on and leaving Shelby a bit isolated really so I think I think that was the main difference for me um, at Longstaff rather than the fullbacks to be honest I didn't think about it in terms of the player profile that they brought on but Tom you're absolutely right about that I think I think Longstaff did make a big difference I, th- I think it was just a case of the two things that they they flattened their midfield three as you've said already John and that denied space between between the lines uh, between the back and middle line for them um, and they and, and it's partly as a, it's partly as a function of what I've just said but they also didn't commit as many players forward into their attacking transitions either so um, not just the midfield midfielders but I mean like even Shelby was getting more involved in their attacking transitions in the first half than he did in the second so I think I think they made a conscious decision that if they were going to get anything out of the game it was it was going to be that plan of yeah we're going to we're going to we're going to sit deep we're going to sit compact and we're going to get St Maximum involved where we can now obviously the goal didn't come from him and but so that's a, a bit of an outlier but but um yeah I think it was just very much that 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 they decided to stay compact and do do more denial of space in the centre I still thought there was plenty of width there in the second half I, th- I still thought we got into plenty of really good positions th- you know through the second half right up until up until the goal and maybe maybe even a bit beyond that it wasn't that we weren't able to get into good positions out wide it's just that we weren't able to create centrally in the same way that we've been able to in the first half so that kind of limited us a little bit and made us go a little bit more uh made us go, go a bit more direct in the second half I think and, and I, I don't think that particularly helped us particularly when you know and, and I'm again I, I, well Dan James isn't going to grow is he and he's not going to become physically bigger and he's not going to become physically stronger and he's not going to get better at hold up play so however much Bielsa improves him and I know that there are a lot of people that think he's that, that Bielsa will and that's a that's a fair point of view he's not going to get bigger and physically more imposing and more able to do build up play um, and I think that, that one of the things that we really struggled with throughout the second half is that when we were trying to find central balls for something to pivot off he was just losing it every single time um, and that that is what it is so um, I think that there's something there as well that, that we really really struggled with he's, he seems to be off balance all the time when the ball's coming up to him uh, for him to hold up he just always seems to be off the centre of his balance and it, so apart from him being small and physically not very strong there's also another issue there as well which is that he's not able to set himself in such a way that means that he's got any chance of getting the ball yeah in terms of the the defensive side of things in the second half actually I think the what was interesting for me was that that we'd, we'd seen sort of Leeds dominate in transition in the first half and then Newcastle came out and played in a different way but there was about 10 minutes where the game just sort of opened out a little bit I thought um, where, where Newcastle and and Leeds started going a little bit toe to toe again in terms of that transitional stuff, and very quickly I think um, Eddie Howe just shut that down and was like, "You're getting dragged into this game again. You've got to be patient. You've got to sit in." And and I think that was, uh, I mean, fair play to him because it obviously changed the game in terms of when they sat a little bit deeper, they looked a lot more in the game I think than they than they were. They looked they looked way less open than than they were as well. So that that just suggested to me that 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 was his halftime talk had been. You can't get dragged into this kind of transitional stuff. Yeah, because we were trying to drag him into a gunfight in the first half and just see who had the best attacking transitions. And uh, and you know, and, and clearly we 
one to eleven, we're better at that than Newcastle are. Although I think they've got a couple of more dangerous individuals, and we've got. I think we are better at it collectively. Let's move on. I, I feel like we end up talking about chance creation all the time on this channel, especially this season, given that it has been a bit of a struggle. But last week, Josh wrote a piece for us on how needs uh, Leeds need to get Rafinha into the same positions that he got into against West Ham, and I felt as though yesterday we did get him into those positions, but we still didn't actually score from them. So what is the issue here? Is there something more intrinsic than just getting Rafinha to the byline where he can where he can hit players, Darren? Well, there has to be some sort of movement from the clever movement from the attacking players that he's trying to find in the middle. And 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 again, I don't want this to just become across as me kind of knocking Dan James the whole time because you know I I don't want people to think that I've got some sort of agenda. I haven't. Um, I but I I do um think that we really miss the movement of an intelligent striker to, when he gets in the, when Rafinha gets in those positions but also what I will say is and this is specific to yesterday not necessarily about other games but but I just thought Rafinha apart from a couple of moments in the first half I actually thought he was quite poor I just don't think he he was a bit ponderous he didn't you know, kind of make decisive actions and I just don't think he made the most of the opportunities that he was given either so I think um and I think also because we went that bit more transitional in this uh, direct rather than transitional because we were transitional all the way through. We we went that bit more direct in the second half. We came up against that issue where we weren't able to get bodies into the box for him to find either. Um, so, I th- yeah, I think I think there were a few things feeding into it, but I, I just don't at the, at the root of it. I just don't think he made the most of the opportunities that he was given as much as anyone else did. Yeah, I've got to agree with the sort of the intelligent movements of a, having a striker there. Would have probably made a lot of difference yesterday. Like there was a couple of times where James just makes a, such a baffling run that if he just sort of stood still, then he probably would have had a, pr- a pretty easy tap in a couple of situations. And I think the, the attacking midfielders probably have a little bit of blame here as well. That like I think that we just, I think at West Ham it kind of just clicked and the, the timing of the runs just worked and it got us into position to come. When the cutbacks came in, they were in good position to shoot. And it just, I don't know if it was like everyone was bombing on and then they were all just not, not in the right position. It, it, Rafinha probably didn't help this, like you said, Darren, but it's just I, I didn't... I, I think the blame does mainly uh, go with the striker in this situation, but I don't think the attacking midfielders helped here earlier. And I think if you get Harris on the other side as well, that they just it just felt like they were putting the ball in and hoping rather than sort of looking up and trying to find a man, which... I'd, again, I don't know who's to blame. If it's, it's like you say, all the attacking players are to kind of blame yesterday. They just it, it wasn't sort of one specific player that let the rest of the rest of the players down. I wonder if anyone thinks that there's any issues with the fact that if you are going to be running a lot of automations, which is what a lot of Bielsa's build-up play is based around, so that's just running routes where you you follow set routines. Um, I wonder whether or not that means that that you are going to be in situations where players are just going to take the pass and assume that someone's going to be in a certain situation or etc uh, etc et I don't we've, this is something we've not really ever talked about actually but um, it's it's a question that's often been leveled at someone like Antonio Conte because a lot of his team's build-up play is based around set automation so that's just putting the ball in certain situations because you know that all of your teammates will be running certain routes um, when the ball's in certain situations Um, but it's definitely an issue that we seem to have this season insofar as uh, we've talked a lot about how the beauty of Bielsa's system in the last few seasons has been that he's able to get players and the ball into the right areas at the right moment it's not just about a space it's not just a spatial thing it's a it's a temporal thing as well you've got to get everyone into the right positions at the right time and we just aren't doing that at the moment yeah no and I think you've you've found a a way to to phrase something that I've noticed all season but not had the words to to put put language to and that's the the way that I observe it and the way that I would talk about it is that there have been so many times this season more than I've ever seen in the previous Bielsa seasons where one of two things has happened either um an yeah like an automated or or a, a scripted movement has happened where the pass has actually gone behind the player's run which we've seen a lot and or the other thing and Tyler Roberts gets dug out for this all the time is where he's put the ball into a space where he's expected a player to be and nobody's been there and and those are the two things the way that I notice what you're talking about I think Um, and there were again there were a number of occasions yesterday where where that happened but also I think I think do think teams are smarter at spotting when those are going to happen so they'll they'll put they'll they'll put a full back in a in a 
and uh, one of the wide players or one of the eights into the space so we can't work that third man run down down the right hand side when I noticed Newcastle were quite good at cutting Ailing out in that situation quite a few times yesterday so yeah thanks for that John that's really clarified something for me <laughs> let's just have one more question in this section then um, and it's about Gelsa's game management and substitutions I think there's been a lot of discussion about this in the last few weeks I think that's part and parcel of like having some poor results perhaps but um, it's something we should talk about so uh, Tom what do you make of this aspect of his game uh, from Bielsa this um, sort of frustrations I think the the biggest frustration being that for example, yesterday he'll bring on Tyler Roberts, play him up front, and then immediately bring on, well, 10 minutes later, bring on Joffe and, and then switch them up um, rather than just making those two substitutions at once uh, and having the change from the off and trying to get the benefit of it in that 20 minutes at the end rather than having 10 minutes of half benefit for, for the two of them. My main issue uh, with the game management yesterday is the decision to start uh, Rodrigo and click together because he's basically coming out and saying, we're going to go we're going to just try and beat you in a transitional game. We're going to out-attack you. And it could have just... If you'd have tried to bring in someone like Bay or even even playing like Dallas there and playing one of the one of Click or Rodrigo in midfield with him, then it just it leads to a more controlled game and you'd back us to win that as well. Like I don't feel like there's a reason to go with a midfield that attacking when we should have been able to beat them without... It's not, it's not like we're playing a... a a bigger team where we need the, as many attacking players as possible to get the upside. Like we we didn't need to do that yesterday. In terms of in terms of the substitution as well, um, I've never really thought about that that he could have brought them on at the same time. It was more my annoyance was with the fact that it was obvious from pro, well very early on the game that we needed a striker and that wasn't working. Um, and he could have brought well, it didn't. Re- I don't think it really was. It mattered who he brought on out of Geldart and Roberts. He just needed one of them earlier. Um, but yeah, I would also I completely agree with the fact that bringing Roberts onto them, moving into field midfield later on, just doesn't yeah, is is seems a bit baffling to me. And bring also taking click off when you could have like Rodrigo was clearly sort of getting a bit off the pace from about the 60th minute. So it, I think it just felt like he wanted to get Rodrigo in yesterday at whatever cost, and it just it, that didn't seem like the right decision to me. I'm not sure if I think Rodrigo looked unfit. I just think that he was denied the space that he was given in the first half. Yeah. Yeah. And it, it just necessarily makes him look like he's a little bit more off the pace. But uh, Darren, what's your take on this? So I know that a lot of this is centred around Bielsa bringing Roberts on and probably instead of bringing Gelhart on at that moment is a lot of what I've seen. And, and all I would say about that is... I, 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 I love Gelhart. I think he's a fantastic player. I think he's going to develop into a really, really class player. But he doesn't run the channels like a striker. And if we were going to go from a situation of having Dan James, um, like a classic number nine rather is what I should say, because he does he does play as a striker. But but if we're going to go from a situation where, where I'm moaning about having Dan James on not making the sort of runs that a nine makes, not being able to hold the ball up, not being able to um, drag Newcastle's central defenders around, if you're going to give me a choice between bringing Tyler Roberts on, purely from a movement point of view anyway, of bringing Tyler Roberts on or bringing Gelhart on, I'd bring Roberts on every time because when he comes on, he, he makes runs which make centre-halves move into areas they don't want to go. Now, that's not going to be a popular thing for me to say, but it's also what I think, so that's fine. Um, so I I think, but I do think, however, I do think that um, we needed Gelhart probably earlier, that, that him his ability to pick the ball up and run at people would have been really helpful from an earlier point in the game. Um, but I'm just not going to get buy into this Roberts bashing because I've seen a lot of people blaming Roberts that, that we lost the game because of because he brought Roberts on, which is bullshit. That's not why we lost the game. We lost the game because we couldn't convert good territory into good chances. And it's as simple as that. Um, and so did Roberts help that? Probably not particularly. Did Gelhart? No, no, he didn't, he didn't really help it either. Um, so I think I think there's something more fundamental here. But I do recognise a frustration with Bielsa perhaps making uh, maybe what feel like pre-planned substitutions or where his pecking order is so set in stone that, it, that, that his substitutions are actually really predictable. And if they're predictable for me, sat in the stand, they're going to be predictable to Eddie Howe who's a professional coach with a team of analysts around him, they're going to know exactly what substitutions he's going to make too. So I do kind of recognise, to balance that out, I do I do recognise that there is a kind of rigidity to, to be able to substitutions, which can feel a bit challenging at times. 
I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction and free shipping. And that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements. Featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. Well, enough of my questions. Let's have your questions. So this is the section of the show where the two guys will bring a topic themselves um so we'll kick off with tom let's kick off with you what should you want to talk about i wanted to try and bring a more positive thing to talk about um and i actually think that robin cock did quite well yesterday um mostly and i think he did quite well against west ham as well um it's like to the point where like i him well him playing for covering for Calvin out, it just doesn't concern me at all. I think he does it the role of I thought yesterday I think he did the role as well as Calvin would have done. I don't think Phillips playing that game would have made any difference to the end result. Um so I just thought wondered if there's a, like anything you guys have noticed about Cock that you'd want to talk about really. Yeah, I broadly agree with you. I think I think he's he's done well in in the majority of games where he's played as a defensive midfielder, with perhaps a notable exception of the the opening game of this season at Old Trafford. I, but I think I think in the other games where he's played as as a defensive midfielder, he's kind of solid and solid defensively. I think I think one of the things I've always liked about him is that he, that he does read space well. Um, so he is able to kind of cut situations off that before they become particularly dangerous. I think he's I think he's pretty reasonable on the ball I think he's you know he's probably not going to have I know people really love the big Calvin booming pass and you'd probably say that Cock doesn't have that in him but I also do think that he's he can appear to be a bit more neat and tidy even than Calvin at times in terms of being able to kind of facilitate that build-up play um so I I've got absolutely no issue with 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 Cock there except that I want him to be playing right centre back instead of the current incumbent that would be the that would be the only <laughs> the only issue that I would have with him but, but I think in terms of Cock's performance I, I yeah I, I I broadly agree with you Tom I think he was fine the only thing I would add to that is that I think that a lot of people still don't understand the role of the DM in our system. And I think that probably maybe changes things somewhat insofar as the the games where you're going to see Calvin Phillips get his upside are going to be games against particularly like top four sides or like classic top six sides. Um, so, for example, it's interesting that you mentioned the Manchester United game, Cock looked out of, out of his depth a little bit. Those are the sorts of games where you've got elite midfielders running through this and centre-backs running through the middle of the field and he has to then respond to that I'm not entirely convinced that that um, Newcastle running through the middle is quite the same and, and San Maximum I don't think he, there was many situations where Cock was actually up against him so it it remains to be seen where whether or not Cock is going to look good in those big games so if we see a few of those coming up that'll be maybe a better um uh, uh, test case for whether or not we think that he he is he's better than Calvin Phillips or not so um that that's all I would say other than that I'm really happy with him in that in that situation and I, I mean I've always been sort of of the opinion that it's fine playing good um centre-backs on the ball in those situations I don't in, in in that role in those situations so I don't particularly worry about it at all cool so Darren what about you what did you want to talk about yeah, just a tactical thing that I, that I've that I noticed really. So I noticed in Newcastle's game against Watford and against us that that they keep quite a narrow back four, um, and they move across the pitch as a unit, as a lot of zonal teams do, right? But but they move across the pitch as a unit and quite a narrow unit, and they leave the opposite side completely exposed when the ball's in wide areas. And we used to um, back in the day, we used to take advantage of that by overloading the right with players and then switch into the left where we'd managed to get Jack Harrison isolated. And I thought we 
I thought yesterday there was ample, ample opportunity for us to, to revisit that style of play. And I just wondered whether you guys had any theories or ideas about why we might have stopped trying to do that because it was so effective in championship games, which looked a bit like yesterday um, in at times uh, in terms of playing against, you know, a team who was defensively compact, not wanting to deny us space in the areas where we like to play. Um, and I just wondered if you had any thoughts about why why that doesn't seem to be a thing that we really try and do anymore. It was something that I did notice as well, Darren, that we could have done yesterday. On a sort of more general point, I think it, that being able to do that relies that we can retain possession and get into some sort of set structure. Whereas we've been so transitional this year now that we can't either control possession or we can't get the winger in position because the ball's already at the other end of the pitch and we've probably already lost possession by the point that the left, left winger actually gets gets there. Um so yeah, I don't understand. That's probably more this this year. But to not look for it yesterday is a bit unusual. One one thing that's just come to mind now is that I feel like it's a ball that the centre backs tend to do more now. Like you get your Rente trying to ping it across the field to Parison or Strout uh, doing it um, to the other side. So to the fact that because one of the key features of like Ailing's progression in the, the championship was actually that those balls like it was something that you he did a lot and you just don't see that now so it, it to me it seems like we've made a decision to not do it in those situations where we would have definitely tried to do it before yeah I think the the big difference is is that the, the player who we rely on now is Rafinha rather than Pablo Hernandez I think if you have a player like Pablo Hernandez one you you know that he's going to be able to play those balls in and help you control possession as Tom said um, but two he's also not going to be the sort of player who's going to try and beat fullbacks down the outside and hit the byline um and so i think that you can you can sort of do your build up play over on the one hand on on the one side uh, and then get it to someone who's going to be able to find that that isolated player on the other side whereas i feel as though so much of our tactics now and i felt even yesterday that it became a little bit too predictable in that we started just looking for rafinha um from about the the 30th minute onwards we were just sort of looking for that ball into rafinha in the wide channel quite regularly um and i think when that's your that when that's your tactic sort of just expanding quickly into into that wide space you aren't able to really do anything in terms of as tom said like have the patient build up which allows you then to switch sides um so for me it's it's the fact that we now have two very different players playing in that right wing situation than we had when we were doing the overload to isolate really well. One thing i just add to that is that it's it annoys me that we don't try and do it the other way around, so we don't try and build up on the left and then try and isolate Rafinha against the fullback in the way that we used to do with Jack Harrison. Like what The, t- the team that comes to mind for this is that when Helder Costa was Wolves' best player by a mile, they used to just build up on the left, ping it to him and then just go Helder Costa, go and do it. And we just, I feel like we could do that with Rafinha at times and especially now that we've got Furpo well, Firpo when he's fit playing there, that we could actually build up on the left and then try and isolate Rafinha and we just don't seem to do that, which is a little bit infuriating. Interestingly, yesterday, the only time I noticed us trying to overload and then isolate was exactly as you described and it was it came in the 81st minute yesterday. So, yeah, it was quite interesting. And I th- John, I think your point there about Pablo, the absence of Pablo or the or the contrast between Pablo and Rafinha is probably really accurate and 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 might might have been what yeah what I was thinking when I formed the question in terms of that that player who's going to who's got the technical quality but also the kind of game awareness to pull the strings in that way we just really don't have that player at the moment and I know there's a question coming up which which probably um fits in with that as well so yeah thank you yeah for me it comes down to like not having the technical ability a player of that technical requisite ability and uh, Darren you know about my gripes with our transfer um, strategy so uh, I don't see that changing anytime soon I think we're in for largely intense direct physical players rather than someone like Pablo Hernandez or uh, dare I say it Samu Saez and I think this is the interesting this is what we were talking about yesterday after the match the fact that that Bielsa is really good when he has those players available to him. His tactics look really good, but the problem is is that he only ever really has those sorts of players when he inherits them um, rather than bringing them in um, individually. So that's a that's a topic for a Patreon podcast, I think, at some point. So uh, we'll save that one for, for another day. But we'll move on to the listener questions. 
some really good questions this week. So thank you for all of the guys who sent them in. It's a shame we couldn't get to all of them. And sorry if we haven't read out of your questions, but we do read through all of them. We just pick the ones that I think give us the best scope to cover things that we haven't already covered. So thank you for sending them in. Do keep doing that. Uh, but the first one is uh, for Darren from Boss Hoss, who says, is Melier susceptible at free kicks? May just be me, but I'd like to know the data for the amount of goals conceded from them. I think the world of the lad, but as soon as that was conceded, I found myself fearing the worst. Is it an Achilles heel for him? Darren? Uh, I think this is a watch this space type situation. I don't, th- I don't think we've got enough enough data uh, because because if you think about like the number of direct free kicks that a team gives away um, and how few of those actually go on target, like I, I don't think you, you can conclusively say from, um, from the free kicks that we've seen that Melier's got a problem from free kicks. However... However, yesterday was the worst mistake he's made from a shot-stopping point of view while he's been in goal for Leeds, and it's, it's, it was inexcusable as an error, and I'm not going to sit here and try and defend him um, because I think that would be pointless and would be me parodying myself to a degree. I really don't want to do that. Um, it, it, was just, it was just an indefensible error. The wall wasn't set right again so maybe there isn't maybe there is a recurring issue there that he, he that I think I I do think that again for the Burnley free kick and I said that he was at fault for that goal and I still stand by that but I do think the er- error was more with the set of the wall because if you if you're a goalkeeper and you set up with with an angled free kick you put the wall on one side you cover the other and if the ball goes over the wall and into the, into the side that they're covering then there's probably not a great deal you can do about that that's not what happened for the Burnley one. So he didn't have that wall set right. I think you should never, as a goalkeeper, you should, have, I'd say never, but you should very, very rarely be beaten on the side of the goal that you're defending uh, as a goalkeeper from that sort of free kick. And yesterday, his attempt to stop it was pathetic. Um, so I think, I think in terms of the question, absolutely, let's let's watch this space because it might be that there's a, there is a recurring issue here. Um, and I can't even work out really what he did wrong yesterday I mean he just sort of wafted his hand towards the ball and it sort of just tamely bounced over it so um, I'm, I'm sure that, the, that there are you know goalkeeping analysts out there who would obviously technically be able to tell you what, what he did wrong better than I can but um but he just should never be beaten in that position. It strikes me just watching that free kick back is that he's expecting a touch to come from someone because the ball's quite low, right? It goes through, it, it sort of threatens to go through or come off a leg at some point. And I think that that does for him, right? And then from that point on, he's sort of like responding to something and, and it's not great. So what's your take on that aspect of it? Because I feel like if that's if that's an absolute perler of a free kick at the top corner of the side that he's standing, he saves it every time. Um, it's, it's almost as though this is the issue here is that it's an outlier. And I wonder if you think maybe he has an issue just responding to unique moments in that respect. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that's probably an experience thing because I think one of the things, you know, in terms of positions on the field, I think goalkeepers benefit from from experience probably more than any other any other position um I, what i would say about that yeah he probably does get distracted by by the ball coming across two players as it comes to him but i i kind of think from a from a from a point of view obviously i'm not on the pitch i'm not in the situation so it's easy for me to say this if that ball strikes someone five yards from goal and goes in nobody says anything about it they just go oh that he's been beaten by somebody five yards from goal and that's just the way it is if he gets beaten by the by the by the path of the ball that it takes then he's very much open to criticism and I think he's got to deal with the path of the ball as it is from the initial free kick and if he gets beaten by another touch then that's just too bad is 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 how I would look at it and I think I, th- I think that's yeah I think I think there's a there's a there's an extent to which he kind of dithered. I think is probably what you're getting at, and and um, that that is probably what happened. But I still think it's inexcusable. Nothing more to add, really. Just to, I'm just trying to get over the fact that Darren has described something that Melier did as pathetic. I never thought I'd see the day. <laughs> <laughs> right. Question two. Is the criticism of Rodrigo fair, says Zach Palmer. Pablo never got this much criticism for giving the ball away when trying to do something creative. I thought quite a lot of what he tried actually came off today and we saw moments of him at his best. He stuck with Shelby fairly diligently too. So, Tom, what do you make of Rodrigo's game yesterday? My personal criticism and well, probably our um, all-stats on weak criticism of him has never really been his creative play, I don't think. It's been his off-ball stuff. Um, so if we start on that and say he stuck with Shelby fairly diligently, I think he did. But I would also say that if you can't stick with Shelby fairly diligently, considering how immobile he is, then you just really shouldn't be playing football. 
Um, in terms of his creative stuff, yeah, he did he did quite well yesterday. He um, did quite a few nice little passes and um, did get into some good areas. Uh, but as we spoke about earlier, they just didn't quite come off. So if if people are criticising him for his giving the ball away, I, I think that is probably unfair. Um, I think someone's got to do it, and I think Rodrigo is one of our best players at doing it. So yeah, I've got I've got no issues with that from his play yesterday. Yeah, I agree with that to a point. Uh, so I I never have a problem when a creative player tries to do something creative and it doesn't come off. I think that's absolutely part of the part of the course and part of the territory. And Pablo, that would happen all the time. And actually, Pablo used to get criticised a lot for that. And we, but because he was older, what we'd get when Pablo had a game where nothing came nothing came off for him and where he gave the ball away a lot, trying to do creative things, what we would get then it was is Pablo broken? Questions. That that's how that criticism would be couched. Um, I think the other other difference that I really observe is that when Pablo was playing for us and playing at his best he was able to to control the flow of the ball right from the right back area right up to that top right hand corner so he was involved like comprehensively in all of our build-up play in a way that Rodrigo just isn't so I think Rodrigo is fine when he can pick up the ball in the half space in in the kind of half in their half and he can make things happen from there. But I, I do really think that when, when Rodrigo plays, we struggle to build up, um, particularly when, when when we haven't got someone like Forshaw on the pitch to kind of guide the ball through through the thirds in the same way that, that he can, the way that Pablo did, and the way that the way that Saiz used to do as well. Um so it's turned into a bit of a we miss Samu Saiz podcast unexpectedly. Um so but but I but I, fundamentally yeah I, I think I think people give the creative players give the ball away and that's absolutely part and parcel of it um and I agree that he did track Shelby diligently enough and yeah I, I take what you're saying Tom Shelby isn't the most um, mobile or proactive player in, in that from that point of view but you also just have to do the job that's in front of you right and and he did, so that's fine. Yeah, yeah. I'm not going to slag him off for that. But yeah. Just, yeah. <laughs> the only thing I would add is that I think Rodrigo looked great when he had space and then less great when he didn't. And I think that that's part and parcel of what it is to play football um, in the Premier League. Right? You you have managers who are going to detect the the weaknesses in their structure and they're going to try and rectify that. And that's what happened with with um, with Eddie Howe. And I think the the question then is like, what do you do from there? Do you try and tweak things up? Do you try and do things differently? Um, and and then we've already had the questions about whether or not Rodrigo should have come off. But um, I thought when he had space, he was yeah largely unplayable. I think that you can tell when you watch him play that he's a level above pretty much anyone on our team on the ball, with the exception of Rafinha, I think, um, in the... Even even when he was denied space, there was times when he, you, you just play the ball in front of him and it make it's a 50-50 ball. You know that he'll probably get just in front of the opposition player, um, clip it past them, and then and then um, sort of cut back on himself, create space for himself to then do something differently. Um, and I, I think that, that that was the difference really between him in the first half and the second half. In the first half, he just had... I mean, even the chance that... The first Dan James chance that was missed... I think the first ball there, he's playing to Dan James and it goes past James to Rafinha and then falls nicely because um, Rafinha is able to just play it straight back to Dan James. But those sorts of balls in are so dangerous. If you can get the ball in that that line in between the uh, the defence and the and the goalkeeper, you're going to cause problems. And we just don't have enough players who do, who, who do that quickly enough. And I, I think for me, Rodrigo's speed of thought is next level compared to a lot of other players as well um, that makes that makes a huge difference too so you'll never hear me criticizing Rodrigo's um, on the ball stuff because he's just he's just exceptional at it and we don't have anyone who's anywhere near that level and I can see why Bielsa does persist with him the issue for the, I think the rest of us is that you, you're always sort of balancing the books and you're like well you know Rodrigo had a good game on the ball here but did we lose control in the middle um, etc etc and so you start doing this like bank balancing exercise where you're having to work out what was good and what was bad and um, yeah I, I have no problem with that because I think I personally think that this team needs to have more technical players in it but the problem is is that this team is built around having physically 
quality players in it and and that and and the issue the issue then becomes that we're sort of playing a play style which relies on us to get forward quickly and and to be direct etc and I think Rodrigo loses you lose a little bit of his upside from that as well but again this is another topic which we could talk about at length on another podcast so can I just add one more question sorry it's kind of sort of it kind of sort of latched onto this one is kind of goes on to the next one as well is that could we yesterday have got the upside of Rodrigo playing by playing him up front instead of James and playing someone like Bate or Dallas in midfield because that that would have with James playing there it just didn't feel like we got anything out of that but we could have maybe got the positives of having Rodrigo without having to play him in, fit, in midfield with hindsight it would look to me like the, the best way to do this is have Rodrigo in midfield and have Joffe up front for the first half and then the issue becomes, I mean, if you're going to play Rodrigo from the start in that game, what you're saying is this is going to be a transitional game with lots of space. And that's how it played out in the first half. But in the second half, very quickly it became obvious that wasn't the case. In which case, why not just bring Rodrigo off just to say, well, you know, we've lost that opportunity. And OK, yeah, he is our best technical player. But in this game, we actually we need someone who's going to do offer something different differently and... Yeah, I mean, it, then the question becomes like depth. Like, who do you bring on who's actually going to be able to do that? We don't have the depth to then bring on a different type of player. Uh, but y- yeah, you could, I mean, talk about someone like Brendan Aronson, and then you've got Click and Aronson there who are going to be much more ball carriery, um, physical presences in the middle. And, and then maybe you get something out of that game. Um, so for me, that would be how I would go around it. Um, just play Rodrigo until Rodrigo ceases to be use- useful because the opposition manager recognises how dangerous he is and changes his tactics to to respond to that. So final listener question. Um, this is from friend of the podcast, Thomas Cortez, who says, would you have brought Bait or Hjelda on? Say Hjelda. Yelde. We've got to get it right, haven't we, Darren? We've got to put the clip in. Put the clip in, John. We'll put the clip in. We've, we've been sent a clip by the only Ole that we care about, who is Indeed. Ole Targan, who is one of our patrons, who sent us a, cl- a very helpful, I should say, clip on how to pronounce Leo Yelde. <laughs> Leo Yelde. Yelde. Like yelling. Yelde. That's how you say it, Yelde, basically. If yep. you want to go to town, you can Swedish chef it and go, Yelde. I think that's the general rule. Anyway, <laughs> would you have brought on Bait and Yelde around 60 minutes to control the match? They only generated Newcastle through counters, and Bielsa chose to break the team instead of enclosing them in their own third by slow progressing. Does does he feel a moral obligation to rush in for the win? Um so thank you for that question, Thomas. I think this is an interesting one, more from the big picture side of it. So, um, and, and I guess which, what we've just been touching on there, right, that that um, that when it comes to being transitional, that only really works when the opposition are going to allow you to be transitional and accept that transition. Um, we've talked a lot about the Manchester City game, the first game that we played against uh, Manchester City in the Premier League era, where it just opened out, became a very transitional game and actually suited us very well. And then since then, Pep has never allowed that sort of thing to happen again. He's just sort of controlled the game, slowed it down. Um, so the question is, in a game like against Newcastle, where they're not offering you a huge amount of uh, of space in the second half, is it not better to just control the ball, keep the ball, uh, and try and break oppositions down? Um, so what's the what's the take on this, Darren? Uh, yes, I would prefer to see a more controlled, more methodical, um, more considered um style of play against a team like Newcastle because I don't think they're going if you're if you're able to move them around with smart movement and 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 smart play and and clever passing then they're not going to be able to stop that um I think there are there are two there are two things here for me so I think if you're saying that and this is not me criticizing Thomas by the way it sounds like I'm going to be criticizing him I'm not if you're saying that bringing two 19 year olds into a Premier League match is going to give you a modicum of control that your first team squad cannot give you, then I think that says quite a bit about the way that we've built our squad since we came back to the Premier League. That's one thing. Um, the other thing is that um, we were we we were also only creating through counters and through transitions in that game, and that's because that's what our squad is built to do, um, and that's because that's how Bielsa likes to play. So I don't know if it's about moral obligation, it's about his tactical preference and the way that he wants to see football being played, and I think he wants to see games like the first half, we have a go, you have a go, we'll have another go, then you can have a go, and we'll see how, we'll see how that plays out. Can our man marking stop you from your go? Can we break down your, your zonal approach and, and, and keep 
you know, make it pull you out of your shape in your in our transitions. And and I think that that is that is the deal with with Bielsa. So if if you get Bielsa, you get Bielsa things. And um, so whilst my preference and and the way that I think you most consistently win that game is by controlling it, um, that's not ever something that we're going to particularly see um, unless you're talking about Bielsa's second season uh, where teams just sat off us and that meant we had to find a way to, to play that more controlled style. I agree with like what you were touching on the end there, Darren, that I would have liked to see the uh, sort of controlling of the game from the start, not even not just at the 60th minutes, but... Sure. Yelda's probably the, kind of the, the one that's not relevant in this one because you could have just kept Dallas at left-back and it, it doesn't really affect affect how our ability to control the game but we could have played Bay or I know Dallas isn't, isn't exactly isn't a, well this is a gadget this is going to weirdly end up being unpopular but Dallas isn't a central midfielder so but he would have helped us control um, that game better than having Click and Rodrigo there um, and yeah it was just it's one of those where you would have just wanted to pin them in and then we would have, I think we'd have probably got more chances off in the final 30 minutes of that game by controlling the game rather than trying to keep it transitional so and we were saying do, did he feel a moral obligation to rush uh, rush for the win it might be that he just he feels some sort of obligation to have a transitional football match rather than to try and win that game weirdly I don't, I don't know maybe I'm just I don't, I don't know with that one really I think the interesting thing for me is that like you say, we we talk about Bielsa's style all the time and the way that he's built this squad to be very transitional. And I think the the thing is is that the transitional style gives us maybe an upside against teams like West Ham, like we had last weekend, um, where you might normally think that we would lose that game. But then it, it, it's actually a bit of a downfall in in games against teams like Newcastle at the bottom of the table. And that's kind of the the issue here for me, is that. If you live by the sword, you die by the sword and you have to accept that if we're going to play transitional football in games where maybe a bit more control is going to help, then we've we've sort of made our deal with the devil and that's it. We can't, there's, there's nothing that we can do about it. So um, that's, I think that's part and parcel of just having no plan B. Um, and that's, that's, that's going to be the way that it, the way that it is really. And I think interesting, yeah, this season that we, I think the better games that we've played have been against teams who are more in the middle mid-table who maybe struggle to who are making are trying to make that move between being maybe a a, a lower table side to a top safe table side so teams like Leicester and teams like West Ham are the teams who've I think struggled against us in the Premier League era because actually they they sort of have to try and play the dominant controlling football against us who are really good at transition and they're Possessional football isn't good enough, and that's sort. They're they're sort of at a, a, a stage of evolution further down than we are, which is that we, pl- we currently play transitional football in order to stay in the division. These guys are now safe in the division, so they have to start playing a more possessive style of football, and they're still going through the the the, the sort of um, teething stages of ha- of how difficult it actually is to play that more patient possession football. <laughs> Anyway, I'm aware of time's moving on and Darren does have to rush off. Let's just quickly talk in the Statric Bamford section um, about Luke Ayling. So we've included Luke Ayling, both his progressive carries and his progressive passing were the most yardage for out of any Leeds players separately and, and equally together. So uh, he put up 188 yards of progressive carrying and he put up 356 yards of progressive passing um, and yeah he was comfortably the most progressive player on the field Luke Ayling back at right back and we've talked a lot about how important his um, his progression of the ball is for Leeds so yeah what did we what did we make of Luke Ayling yesterday Tom? I thought it was good I think it was there was definitely especially um, I noticed it more in the second half, maybe on my rewatch, that when Newcastle did leave space for him to run into, he was very good at um, doing that. Whereas that was something that I think I think Stroik and um, and Urente actually struggled with yesterday was progression, um, were carrying the ball out. So it was nice to have Ailing there, and we've spoken a lot this year that we feel like with our progression from the back has been missing without him there. So it definitely is noticeable when he's back how much better our progression from those areas is. Yeah, I thought he was very good. He looked he looked more like the Luke Aylin that I've come to expect through through his time at Leeds, and I, I think he is he's one of our better and most important players in term in terms of how we how we move the ball up the pitch. So um, yeah, I, it's, it's it's a shame that once he gets into the most, those more advanced areas, that the system isn't working well enough for us to for it to kind of come off and for for like the the runs that he makes to come off or for the passes that he makes end up getting cut out quite a bit but but yeah i i i he looked much more 
um, up to speed than, than he has done at any point this season, I think. Um, and, and it was really, really nice to see. Well, that brings us to the end of this podcast. We will not be covering a game preview in this episode because we've got a big chunk of time now before the next game, but we will have a full preview of the next game, which is a game against Villa uh, on the Patreon channel at some point. Um, This week we also have a live Q&A podcast which will be recorded on our Discord server uh, and you can, if you are a patron, you can join in, uh, ask questions in that and um, uh, we will be doing that later this week. I think that's Thursday at 8pm. So if that's something that sounds interesting to you then head over to our Patreon which again is www.patreon.com forward slash all stats aren't we? But that brings us to the end of this episode. All there is for me to do is to say thank you Darren. Thank you and I'd just like to apologise to Ilan Melier. I love you and I still think you're amazing and I still think you'll be one of the best keepers in the world. This changes nothing. I think you need to put this out as a notes app screenshot, right? That's the, the traditional way. I do. Thank you, Tom. Thank you very much. No notes apology from you. No, I just I'm just gonna go with Stand by everything you've said. Yeah, if I've slagged off anyone then I'm just gonna they're gonna have to just live with it because I meant every word. <laughs> and thank you to all you guys for listening in. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 